Well, we are in the book of Galatians. We're in our series, Giants Eat Peas and Carrots. I think uh, we chose Giants Eat Peas and Carrots because that's probably an easier way to remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I remember before I knew Christ, at one point in time, my mom used that phrase in the kitchen, and I was like, what does that even mean, Mom? And then she said, well, it's, it's how I remembered the Bible, uh, those early epistles of the Apostle Paul. And so uh, she was giving me some of the details. But all that to say, uh, we're going to be this morning in Galatians chapter 2. We are, as I said, coming off of the men's retreat. The title of the men's retreat or the theme of the retreat is Into the Deep. And while we were there, we looked at some of the lives of the men in the Word of God who were living in what we would call a biblical manhood. And so I'd just like to give you a a quick overview of some of what we looked at. We looked at men like Abraham, Moses, David, Daniel, Jesus. How many of you know Jesus is the definition of manhood, right? I mean, that's, let's go. He's, he's God incarnate. Uh, and we, we looked at some themes like the simplicity of listening to God, listening to God. How many of us would agree that if you and I would spend a little more time listening to the Spirit of God, and obeying the word and the spirit that our lives might be in a better place. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so we talked about listening to God. We talked about what biblical humility looks like. Jesus, a man's man, knows what it means to be humble. And so we talked about humility. We talked about service. Jesus exemplifying what it means to serve, a different type of leadership, a different type of uh, manhood, if you will, in the world's system. It's climbing the ladder to get on top. He who has the most servants is the champion in the kingdom of God. It's he who has the most whom he serves is going to be great. And so we get the opportunity to be like Jesus and uh, serve our brothers. We also talked about sacrifice and what sacrificial love looks like and the cost that goes with that. Uh, We looked at Jesus also, two things that really exemplified Jesus' life and differentiated his life from others certainly was the fact that he was filled with the Spirit of God without measure. And how many of us would say, I want more of God the Spirit filling my life, filling every aspect of my life, and that I would be responsive to the Spirit of God on a daily basis, and that I would be responsive to the Spirit of God on a minute-by-minute basis. Can I get an amen? And so to be Spirit-filled and empowered from on high. And the second thing is Jesus was a man of faith. Someone say amen. Amen. He was a man of faith, and he learned faith, and he grew faith. He learned faith, and he grew. He learned faith by reading the Word of God. Remember Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature 
and favor with both God and man. He grew and he learned faith. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that it would be, when he refers to uh, his Messiah, he says, he will have his trust in me. God speaking on behalf of Messiah. And Jesus recognizing that as a young man, perhaps, we don't know when at all, all the pieces came together, but he believed God. He believed the word. Let me say that a little more clearly. He believed what was written not only about him, but in relationship to who God is. He believed the promises. I would that all of us, myself included, that we would believe the word of God. Belief, belief, belief. You, you, you know the story, right? I believe, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief, right? And how often we might find ourselves there. And so we talked about how to grow our faith. And how men and women who want to be nearer and have stronger faith, we saturate ourselves in God's word. That we would be students of the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes. Hallelujah. And we ended with a portion of scripture out of Ezekiel 47 on our last day before we came home. And it's a description of the new heavens and the new Jerusalem, and there was from the temple a river that was flowing. And it was a measuring, and as he went out, he found himself ankle deep in water. Then it was another thousand cubits, and he found himself knee deep in the water. Then it was another thousand cubits, and he found the water up to his waist. And then it was another thousand cubits, and it was a river so wide that he could not swim across, but he was swimming. He was swimming. And we talked about just the five different places in that whole uh, prophetic word about either you're standing on the shore, you're ankle deep, you're knee, knee deep, waist deep, or swimming. And we all talked about how we want to be swimming. We just want to be swimming in the things of the Lord. Can I get an amen? And we want to encourage everyone at Hillside that we would be swimming in the river of God. Swimming in the river of God. So those things being said, uh, this morning is kind of a concluding message, if you will, and I really, have, I really have just a couple of thoughts that I would like to add to what I just shared with you. There'll be five, five things that we want to be living and working in us as we are followers of Christ, and this, this chapter, this book, the letter to the churches of the area of Galatia, this is a response of the Apostle Paul to those who were coming against the gospel of faith, the gospel by faith, the gospel that Paul was describing, you and I, we cannot add anything to the grace of God. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, and through faith alone, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, he would tell the church in Ephesus, not of works. And there were Jewish believers who were believing that 
you had only the Jews could be saved because salvation was for the Jews. And so they were suggesting and enforcing, so to speak, no, in order for a Gentile to be saved, they have to become Jews first and come under the law. And fulfill the things contained within the law, like eating kosher food. But the first thing was circumcision. And that was the entrance into becoming a Jew. And then they could become Christians. And so Paul was saying, no, that's not a gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel And it's the gospel of grace. There are no works that need to be performed. And so we pick up in Galatians chapter 2. The scriptures will be on the screen. I'm going to read all 21 verses. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to just look at a couple of things. But I'll probably commentate along the way. Here we go. It says this. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas... And I also took Titus with me. Now, Barnabas was known in Jerusalem. Uh, Titus would not have been known in Jerusalem at this point. It's been 14 years since the Apostle Paul has had a Damascus Road experience. He had a Damascus Road experience with the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. He received the gospel of grace not from any man but from Jesus himself. That's an authority. Can I get an amen? That's an authority. Okay. And so he went to Jerusalem, incidentally, after three years. Now keep this in mind. He didn't go immediately. When he had his Damascus Road experience, he did not immediately go to the apostles. But he spent time in another place. And it wasn't until three years that he went to Jerusalem And now it's been 14 years and he's going back. And he's going back by revelation. Verse 2 says, and I went up by revelation. In other words, they weren't calling him to come up. He says, I'm going because God has sent me. God has sent me. So he says, uh, by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles... uh, Excuse me, uh, to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of the false brethren secretly brought in, uh, brought in who came by stealth to spy out on our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man." For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, 
For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. I'll stop there for a moment. A couple of, a couple of things that you and I can learn and live by in these verses. So there's been some folks who have come in and they're trying to bring about bondage, troubling the Greeks who had come to Jesus. You know what it's like, and kind of in our maybe day-to-day, it's like uh, certain rules, certain rules in churchianity. You're familiar with churchianity, right? Right. There's unwritten rules uh, about going to church. We used to say, Hillside, we'd have on our signs that we used to put out the A-frame signs every week, and on our A-frame signs, one of the sayings that we had on there, no church experience necessary. Uh, because it's churchianity that messes with people. Right? We, we think about, well, what, what should I wear to church this morning? Well, we've got you know, we to wear our Sunday best. And I'm not, I'm not disrespecting that. But I'm just saying, all of a sudden, there's unwritten rules, right? How, how many of you ever had this happen to you when you come to church? You sit down in, in a seat, and someone comes up and says, hey, you're in my seat. Well, I didn't know there were signed seats in church. And we kind of mess with people. And they're like, I didn't know that. I was, today was my first Sunday here. I just sat down. And you know what? They may never come back to church again. We're going to knock that off. Can I get an Amen. Yeah, I said something about prodigals recently. You know, how about when prodigals come back, they come walking through the door. It's the first time in church in years, and they know they haven't been living right. Maybe you know they haven't been living right, but we say things like, man, where have you been? Rather than saying, hallelujah, it's great to see you, man, and give our big old hug. Hey, come sit with me, right? So we, we mess the, and so there's, somehow even in Christianity we have unwritten rules and people don't know the rules by which we're supposed to be playing and those rules aren't even biblical. Right? God help us. The gospel, we can't, we cannot add anything to the gospel. Hallelujah. Freely we receive, freely let's give. Come on. And so these things are going on. So here's, here's just a couple things I, I absolutely love. The Apostle Paul went to Jerusalem by revelation. Paul is led by the Spirit. And can I say to you and everyone here, let's be people that are led by the Spirit. I'll give you another opportunity to say amen. Let's be people who are led by the Spirit. Amen. 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 He is the one who directs the footsteps of the righteous. It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness. But God made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We are the righteous. He directs our footsteps. Let's be led by the Spirit of God. Some of you say, well, I don't know if I can do that. I just don't feel led. 
<laughs> the problem is you just need to get the lead out so you can go do it, right? Okay. Let us lay aside those weights that so easily beset us. Get rid of the lead and then be led by the Spirit, okay? Uh, so I, here, here's another thing. I love this about Paul. Paul is contending for the faith. He lives to make a stand. He's going to stand for the truth. This is a day, as it was then, that you and I, we need to stand for the truth. Can I get an amen? amen. We need to stand for what is right, righteous, and true. Paul said, these cats are false brethren. They're bringing a gospel that is not a gospel at all. In fact, we'll see in chapter 3, he says to the, to the Galatian Christians, he says, who has bewitched you? This, this is sorcery kind of stuff that somehow you can add to the grace of God by your work. Somehow, you know what I'm saying. You, sometimes we think, well, I feel far from God. Maybe I need to pray a little bit more to get God's favor. We're like, I don't want to raise my hand. <laughs> but we do think, and we think that way sometimes. And that, Satan wants us to get there. Because then he can manipulate us with guilt. And he can get us just busy, 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 and neglecting the very important things. Like just listening to the Lord, spending time in his word, saturating ourselves with truth so that we can identify those false Things. So let's live to make a stand. You know, someone once said, I think this is clever. If you don't stand for something, you're probably going to fall for everything. Right? I wish I had said that first. It would have been a quotable quote, <laughs> a tweetable quote or something. I don't know. Anyway, hey, we need to be prepared to give a defense. Right? You remember Peter in, one of, in, in his epistle, in chapter 3 of his first epistle in verse 15? Be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. We need to be ready to make a stand. Make a stand, right? Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, hey, when you make a stand, you should have all your armor on so that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. Finally, brethren, stand fully armed in the armor of God. Okay. I also... I love that Paul brings with him Titus. Titus. He's a Greek. <laughs> he's a Gentile. And he's uncircumcised. And he's a brother in Christ. And Paul, it's like Paul's like, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's probably, you know, you can just imagine this little conversation he has with Barnabas. Well, we should take a little object lesson with us. Why don't we take Titus? This will be fun, right? We're going to take him there. And Titus, Titus is an unprecedented kind of guy. I love this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, referring to Titus, he says, uh, he had no peace unless Titus was with him. Camaraderie. 
I think there's wisdom in that. You and I, we need to have camaraderie in the fellowship of the Lord, right? We need to know each other. That's why I love like a men's retreat because guys connect with guys that they might not otherwise connect with and camaraderie is built. There's connections that are built and we need that. Brothers are born for times of adversity. We hold each other up and we pray. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians uh, that he was comforted by Titus and by the coming of Titus. He also says in that same letter that he, he had all kinds of trust in Titus, that he was trusting Titus for the collection that he was going to receive from the Corinthian church. How many of you know that trust is a vital part of any relationship? I mean, that's a big, big deal. When someone says something to you and says, this is confidential, that means it's confidential. Right? It's not for social media. It's not for the next prayer meeting. Well, I was talking with so-and-so, and they need prayer because, you know, they sh- blah, 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 blah. I knew that, and you didn't. Now you do. <laughs> no! We need to build trust, confidence. A brother who tells tales out of school breaks confidence and ruins close relationship, right? And destroys one's desire to trust someone again. Shouldn't be that way in the kingdom of God. Where am I getting at? Here's here's a third thing that we should be doing. We should be living as examples. We should be living as examples. Titus was a great example. He was a great example. He was a great object lesson for the church in Jerusalem, about Greeks not needing to come under the law to become a Jew first, right? He was a Greek, uncircumcised. He didn't follow any Mosaic law. He just was born again. And a brother, a true brother, Paul even says, he says these words. Uh, he says, if anyone inquires, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my brother and fellow worker in the kingdom. Now, It's hard for us sometimes to recognize what's happening here. Jews wouldn't associate with Greeks, right? Jews wouldn't eat food with Greeks. It was unlawful for them to do that. And not only is Paul crunching the crumb with Titus, having grub, but he's like, we are Brothers. It's above the bloodline of Abraham. It's the spirit line. Kingdom of God. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian or Scythian. Listen, listen. Hey, how how do we bring that in today's scenario? Think about the racial injustices. Think about the social injustices injustices that have happened. Think about the prejudices that exist in America today. I mean, we've just gone through a time and it's still very present with us. I mean, the whole Black Lives Matter. And I don't talk much about any of that kind of stuff. What I would rather talk about is the kingdom principle. When, and it's the, we're to be about the mission of Jesus, which is the gospel, and the gospel makes it an even playing field for everyone. It's an even playing field. And yes, all lives matter. And I'm not trying to be cliche, and I'm not trying to be discounting at all. 
But in the kingdom of God, there is no distinction. There is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is no race. There is no creed. It's Jesus. He is all in all. Can I get an amen? And we need to live that way. Jesus brought dignity and respect to all mankind. Hallelujah. He placed the value on every human being's life. The value is his own life. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He humbled himself, took on flesh, and he died for the whole world. Praise God. Right? I mean, let's be examples. Let's be Christ's ambassadors. Let's be like the balm of Gilead and come in and bring a soothing where there has been brokenness in mankind and humanity. I think about all of just the turmoil that COVID has brought. I mean splitting churches. You think God was up there, the Father, and said, Jesus, we should send COVID down there so we could destroy the church. No, Jesus is the one who said a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And we let petty things break and destroy and collaborate with our flesh and collaborate with Satan's divisiveness. We should be wise in our conduct. As much as depends upon us, the scripture says, live peaceably with all men. I'm sure there's some sermons in there. Not today. I, I, I love the respect piece that Paul has. You see, when he goes to Jerusalem... He's not invited by the leadership. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's Jewish, as is Peter. And he goes and he pulls them aside privately. And he talks to them about the gospel of grace. And I have to believe, because I think it's inferred, that Paul wasn't certain if they believed that you had to become a Jew first. He didn't know. He hasn't had that really. I mean, when he came, you know, 11 years earlier, he spent two weeks with Peter. That was it. So now these other brothers are coming in and infiltrating and bringing on some levels of bondage. And so he pulls them aside privately and he talks to them. Now listen, those guys, he, he's coming on a mission from Jesus. Jesus sends them there, commander-in-chief. And he's received the gospel of grace from Jesus. So he's coming with authority. Can I get an amen? And he takes the head of the church aside and he's talking to them privately. And I think there's such wisdom in that. Can I say to you, if you have a problem with a brother or a sister, rather than addressing those problems publicly, which could bring humiliation and shame and guilt and all kinds of the wrong emotions, what if we, what if we took time and we went to a brother or sister privately and said, can I, can I, 
can I speak with you? Can I speak with you about something? It's kind of burning in me. And just share. You know, like when the scripture says, come, let us reason together. Come, let us argue together. <laughs> come, let us fight. <laughs> come, let us strip the gloves off. <laughs> come, let us settle matters. <laughs> no. Right? Love is the rule. Right? I, I, love, I love that the apostle said, what, what, we, what we really want you to focus on also, the gospel, yes, as declared by you, and remember the poor. Remember the poor. And Paul says, the very thing I was eager to do. The very thing I was eager to do. Listen, let's consider others, right? Con let's, be, let's live with a consideration. It's called compassion. Let's live with compassion. Jesus was a man of compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. Let's be people of compassion. Can I get an amen? You know, how, how, what if the next argument you get in with someone, you decide that it's not so important to win, but who they are is more important, and your witness and testimony of Jesus is more important. Right? The scripture says if you remove the log from the fire... What happens? The fire goes out. The fire goes out. Our problem is we're, we're like Isaac. We're carrying a load of wood. <laughs> we're like, put another log on the fire. <laughs> we just keep feeding that thing, right? You know how it is. It's kind of tit for tat. We, I mean, I've seen it on social media. Some of our feeds have things that we ought to I mean, let's not get into that. That's not Jesus kind of stuff, right? Let's be wise, wise, wise. Okay, um, verses 11 through 21. I'm not going to take time to read. I want you to read those verses. We're going to focus on a specific verse this morning, and we're going to come to the communion table in just a moment. Verses 11 through 21, Paul does... Reprove Peter at one point publicly, and he it was in a, and it was in a time past. He reproved him publicly because Peter was behaving like a hypocrite. When certain men from Jerusalem weren't there, he would eat with the Gentiles. He'd hang out with the guys. They were like, "Let's go, bro!" You know, they were all buddy chum. But some fellas who came, who kind of maybe were you know the to do from Jerusalem, he's like. And he just kind of backed away from the Gentiles, and now he's hanging out with his Jewish brothers and won't eat with them. And Paul's like, hey, Pete, what are you doing, man? There's wisdom sometimes in making a public thing. To the extent or the exposure level, the correction level should go so no one walks away with misinformation. And the Scripture says that Peter played the hypocrite. Hypocrite. He was acting something other than he was. Right? Can I suggest to you that that is taking the Lord's name in vain? When we say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, hallelujah, praise God, I raise my hands in church on Sunday, I go to church on Sunday, I, man, I pray three times a week and I, you know, I give alms, I, I give, I send my tithes to the church, hallelujah. And then we go to work and it's, 
whatever's happening over at the water cooler is like, oh, yeah, those guys. Blah, 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 blah. And we behave something other than what a believer would be. And then one of our brothers goes, oh, hey, bro. And they're like, oh, hey, praise God. Good to see you. See you in church. But the behavior isn't consistent. And that's what Paul was doing. And that ought not be. That ought not be for you and me. Right? Let's, let's live. What's the next? What did I have up there? If this is not up here, integrity. Integrity. What I say is what I am. It's a life of consistency. It's life, it is life led by the Spirit. If we're led by the Spirit, we won't gratify the flesh and there will be a consistency. Uh, I'd tell my kids when I was growing up, I'd say, if you always speak the truth, you never have to remember what you say. Someone says, well, you said this. And you say, uh, no, I didn't. Well, how do you know you didn't say that? Because it isn't true. You're lying. No. I speak the truth. Right? Always tell the truth. It's integrity. And it's beautiful. So, I, I guess with integrity... I would say, let's be men and women of grit. Let's, let's bring it down to just a, kind of that gnarly. Let's, let's, be, let's, let's sink in, right? It's like a badger. You know, a badger in the wilderness, if it's being kind of attacked, it just kind of ruffles back like this, and it sits in its burrow, and it just kind of rests in there. It's like, bring it on. We should be people of grit. Someone challenges the truth, we say, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I'm not in compliance with you. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to go the way of peer pressure. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Okay. Galatians 2.20 would be the theme verse for today. I, I think I had one more. One, uh, let's, well, thank you for having Galatians 2.20. Can you come back to the the five things, a life in the spirit. Okay, live with integrity. One, two, three, four. That, that's the last one. That's perfect. Thanks, Josh. You're good. <laughs> um, this scripture says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. Here's, to live those five things is to be dead to self. Dead to self. And that's Paul saying, I've been crucified with Christ. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A life of faith. The life of faith. And so... Jesus said, at least it's recorded for us in three of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. He said, if you will be my disciple, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's a life of death. It's living dead. Not like some show on TV. We're not zombies. <laughs> but live dead. It's the initiative 
that we have for all of our missionaries across the globe live dead. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, I die daily. It's a decision. We get to decide to be a follower of Jesus. He said, if you will be my disciple. That's a small word with a big meaning. Will you be a disciple of Christ? Will you be a man of valor? Will you be a woman of valor? We come to the communion table, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. We come to the communion table, and the communion table is like coming to an altar. And it's an opportunity for us to simply confirm and make the decision. Yes, Lord. We're remembering what Jesus did for us, and we're, we're coming and we're saying, Lord, I want to do this because I love you. It's a loving response. And we see these things, and I think about the men and the men's retreat and all of those items that we're, we talked about, listening to God, humility, service, sacrifice, being spirit-filled, being filled with faith, swimming in the river of God. And now we're looking at these things to live by the Spirit, to live to stand, to live as an example, to live with compassion and to live with integrity. And we're simply saying, yes, God. Even as Pastor Dennis was praying, he's saying, let's say yes, God, right? And we all say, yes, God, yes, God. And this is a yes, God moment as we come to the communion table. And so we serve an open communion. And if your faith and hope is in Jesus today, we invite you to partake in communion with us. Maybe you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus. Never. And that little ringtone is just reminding you that today is the day. <laughs> today is the day of salvation. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The scripture said that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Can I get an Amen. And he says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confession is made with our mouth. Jesus Christ is Lord. And believing in our hearts, believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved.